Hey, Saucy Bosses, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Kristen Diane McDonald. I'm a successful HR and recruitment leader that has worked and consulted for Google, Microsoft, Activision, and Frog Design, all with a GED and an associate's degree from a community college. I'm now turning that experience into career coaching, mentoring, and storytelling on both the personal and professional. Today, I'm interviewing Elizabeth, or Liz Hittinger, renowned sommelier and the woman leading the charge behind the Me Too movement against the court of master sommeliers. Liz currently works at Mayakamas, which is Wine Spectator's 2019 number two winery of the year globally on their list of the top 100 wineries. She also so happens to be my sister-in-law. You can find the petition mentioned in this interview, as well as the New York Times articles, San Francisco Chronicle article, and the Wine Spectator uh, uh, top 100 wine list, all on thebossysauce.com. Before we dive into the interview, for 20% off any order and free shipping on six or more bottles of the wine that I find to be my favorite in the world, visit donsdreamwinery.com and use the promo code BOSSY20. I perhaps have the coolest sister-in-law ever, an advanced psalm with an impressive resume that I'll let her go over in just a moment. And I actually reached out to Liz to see if she would be interested in an interview a couple months ago. And soon after, the New York Times, uh, this New York Times article was published regarding sexual harassment, assault, and general misogyny and sexism within the court of master sommeliers. So, of course, now we have a bigger topic to talk about, more that's more than depth than just wine itself. Um, and before we delve deeper into that topic, can you introduce yourself to everyone, Liz, and tell the people listening what you do for a living and explain what the Court of Master Sommeliers is and how it's structured and intended to support those both studying and working within the wine industry? Absolutely. So happy to be on here. Thank you for having me. A uh, real honor. So my name is uh, Elizabeth Hittinger, or Liz, as uh, uh, my friends and family call me. And uh, I started really young in the wine industry. So I started when I was uh, 21. My very first job was as a floor sommelier in a restaurant called Aubergine at Le Berge and Carmel. I was certified really young. And uh, then I was the assistant beverage director at Spago in Beverly Hills, which is the famous Wolfgang Puck restaurant. Um, I worked under a master sommelier named uh, Christopher Miller, who trained me. Uh, I got my uh, advanced sommelier certificate uh, a couple years after, and I was the wine director at Addison in Del Mar in San Diego, and I uh, earned the grand award from Wine Spectator uh, during my tenure there, and I was nominated for um, I was a semi-finalist for James Beard Award two years in a row, and then I opened up a restaurant called Odium in da- downtown Los Angeles with uh, Timothy Hollingsworth, who people might know from uh, The Final Table on Netflix, 
And then I totally made a complete career switch and I, not complete, but I uh, moved over to the sales and distribution side. And uh, now I work for, I'm the national sales manager for uh, my Comas Vineyards in Napa Valley. And uh, I, I now get to travel around uh, doing what I love, drinking and eating, <laughs> which is pretty fun. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And for those who don't know, uh, Maya Comas won the award for like second best winery of the year and wine spectator for 2020 right for yeah 2019 our cabernet was number two wine in the world and this year actually our uh, this vintage uh, the 2016 vintage which came out this year uh got 99 points so we're highly rated our um our winery is very iconic it's uh, was built in 1889 and was part of the judgment of paris in uh in the 70s that was really famous so if you've ever watched bottle shock we're one of the wineries that was originally in that uh competition in real life very cool I see I told you she's pretty impressive (laughs) (laughs) okay so you and I've talked quite a bit about all of this before you know taking to the podcast recording but um I think this is going to be an interesting discussion over the microphone considering I have an HR background and you're well immersed in the SOM community and just to kind of start off um Actually, why don't we start off by, can you tell us a little bit more about what the Court of Master Sommeliers is and how they're structured? Yes. Uh, So the Court of Master Sommeliers is uh, at core a a mentorship and examining body, kind of like the Bar Association, and they hold exams and courses. You have to pass, there are four levels, uh, and... Uh, level one is the, they call the in, intro uh, sommelier course and exam. After you pass that, uh, which a lot of people do, uh, you move on to the certified, and that's where your your general level of knowledge to be a floor sommelier for, for the industry standard is uh, at level two. Level three is uh, advanced sommelier. You have to take, now they do it where you have to take a course and then you take the exam the year afterwards. Uh, it wasn't that way when, when I passed uh, about five or so years ago. And then the final level is uh, master sommelier. So it's each of the levels uh, it costs uh, a pretty penny uh, to to take. Uh, it's I think up to six hundred now for the lower levels and about a thousand dollars now for the MS exam. And uh, it, it I will say they it's basically an industry standard. It's certainly not the only certifying body for wine, but it certainly became uh, more famous throughout the Psalm films. That's how people kind of got to know about it. So, so it's more the most famous within the United States. Uh, funny enough, in Europe, people actually don't know the Court of Master Sommeliers. It's not as big as the Master of Wine is in, throughout the rest of the world. But in the United States, the Court of Master Sommeliers is the most respected certifying body for wine professionals. Oh, that's really interesting. I was I didn't know that. I was under the impression that it was for some reason like originated in France and like is over here now and this is just the American branch of the same thing. This is the American branch of the English chapter, uh, but the they it's really in in England it's really for only it's really service based and we are a bit service based here, uh, but Master of Wine, which is 
um, a much more academic, less service-focused certification is much more respected worldwide as opposed to the Court of Master Sommeliers. And this is the American chapter of the court, but it skyrocketed past the, the English chapter for sure in terms of fame. Got it. Okay. So now this article came out and I'll read an excerpt in a minute, but before we do all that, I'm just, what... What do you think needs to change the most um, within the court of master sommeliers? Oh my God. Uh, yeah, number one on my list is probably transparency. The, the whole process is pretty cloak and dagger. You don't really get results for any of your exams. So unlike most tests where you get results and this an amazing amount of feedback, you get no feedback. In fact, one feedback one year when I took the MS theory exam, my feedback was that just that I was rusty. And when I asked for specifics about where I needed to study, they're just just like, well, just everything. You just seemed a little rusty. And this was actually one of the stories uh, uh, of casual sexism. They were like, you know, you, you seem rusty because I had taken a couple of years off. I had uh, a baby. And I came back and they were like, well, you know, you took a couple of years and had some, you know, more important things like, you know, your child to worry about and you just seem rusty coming back from it. That was my feedback after paying a thousand dollars studying for months and months uh, uh, on my free time when I have a career. And that was the amount of feedback. So transparency just and that's just not just with exam results, but how they run their organization. You're always told to trust the process and trust how they're running things, which seems very condescending now at this point, um, because we're not children, we're adults. And uh, being told that I don't understand details about something or that I don't know specifics, then please, please share the specifics then, and then we can all have a voice in it. But they're very cloak and dagger about the way they operate. And that's, um, I think, number one thing that needs to change. It's very cult-like. Yeah. Yikes. I mean, when I think about a performance management, you know, or I mean, again, I'm coming at this from an HR perspective, but um, anytime you're telling somebody an area in which they need to improve, you're actually supposed to be setting examples of that so that they actually understand where they're failing. Yeah. Otherwise, it's nebulous and it's really um, subjective. subjective. Yeah. And in, in that case, what is determining whether or not you fail or pass and where are the lines where biases are coming into play? Completely, which is how I think they're, they've been getting into this mess of, you know, not just gender discrimination or sexual harassment, but all kinds of discrimination. It leaves you open to that because you don't know why some people are getting chosen or not. You're not getting feedback. You're not hearing great feedback for yourself. So you're like, okay, well, I don't understand why. And it leaves you, it leaves you open to all of this. So uh, number one is transparency. They need to be way more transparent. <laughs> so it seems that the organization is resisting change. Would you, from the conversations that you and I have had, is that can you tell us a little bit about like um i guess where where they are resisting the change and what problems and hurdles you've come up against with this or the or that others have come up against yeah it's funny um they knew that this article was coming out for uh for a very long time for about a year and they their initial reaction was 
uh, terrible. Um, just and they they keep fumbling it. And there are I think there are a lot of people within the organization that are set in their ways. It's a lot of master sommeliers. If you look at the demographics, there are a lot of, for lack of better terms, like old white guys um, past the age of 60 that don't really think that they should change or need to change. And so there seem to be, now that we've gotten a little bit further in with asking for change, we realize that there are factions within the master sommeliers. There are uh, there's a fair amount of people that are older white guys that don't want anything to change at all. There are a lot of people in between that just kind of have been master sommeliers, but not necessarily involved. And they're kind of in neutral territory, kind of trying to figure it out. And then there are a lot of younger people that have passed maybe in the last five to 10 years that want to see a lot of really great change that got into the organization to change it and that are frustrated by the people holding it back. Hmm. Okay. But there's a lot of resistance to to the change. The board did not originally want to step down, and now they're stepping down and and uh, having a election. Uh, but we'll we'll see how much changes after that. Because if people change but the ideas don't, then it's not meaningful change. Let's pause for just a moment. I promise this is worth it. I've been getting really into healthy skincare and CBD products lately. As someone that suffers from acne, eczema, psoriasis, allergies, inflammation, migraines, and overall, you know, sensitivities in, to chemicals and products in general, it's really important for me to have quality ingredients in the products that I use. And I recently discovered Prima. I've become a huge fan of their product line, like their R&R rub for aches and pains and the Skin Therapy Body Butter after my hands get a hand sanitizer bath. For an exclusive 20% discount, head to Prima.co and use the code THEBOSSYSAUCE. Have you ever caught yourself updating your resume and feeling completely at a loss at what to do and what not to do? Well, you're not alone. This is a very common feeling and experience. In addition to my podcast, I work as a career coach and provide resume reviews. I also have a two-hour online course for recent college grads titled The Student and Recent Grad Ultimate Resume Masterclass. For 15% off a resume review or the resume masterclass, head to yourbestmasterclass.com and enter the promo code THEBOSSYSAUCE. testing process for those that want to advance to different levels, as we've discussed, um, including the renowned Master Psalm. And it's, you know, as you mentioned, it's quite costly. Do you think that that itself can hold back people from different socioeconomic backgrounds or different diversities and actually um, prohibit, you know, diversity and inclusion itself? And is there, um, so I have, it's kind of a three-part question, is there power in numbers of people not partaking in that? And have you considered forming a new organization? So wine is, <laughs> I think wine can be, is, it's really easy for wine to become elitist, first of all. And second of all, with the exams, absolutely. Uh, there's so, it, it's so expensive, it could absolutely, if you're looking, if you're struggling just to pay rent, uh, I, I think that $500, $600, if you're looking at 
at getting your certification or if you're looking at doing something else, I think that could absolutely hold people back. I think uh, for me, it made more sense because in lieu of college, it seemed cheaper. <laughs> so for me, it, 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 it did seem, seem different, but if, yeah, it definitely holds people back. There are a lot of, lot more scholarships coming out now uh, from wineries uh, trying to be more inclusive and include more people of color. Um, people from different backgrounds to have more exposure. Um, but there is almost a generational wealth issue with regards to wine in general. If you grew up in a household where people didn't drink wine, it's harder necessarily to have the background behind that to be to be interested in it. So trying to get more people from different backgrounds and get them included. And wine is for everybody and wine can be at varying prices and, and, and it's for everyone. I think that 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 is definitely something that needs to change even more. Yeah. And I can't remember the rest of the question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, um, is there power in numbers with not partaking in the organization? Like, you know, uh, I know we'll talk about the petition in a minute, but um, do you think there are a lot of people that want enough change that they would withhold taking the tests and actually affect change through that? And also... Um, given that, have you guys considered, um, or you, um, you're a group, have you considered maybe forming a new organization? Yeah, I think there's definitely power in numbers. Uh, if a thousand people decide not to take the, the exam, uh, you know, you're looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars that they're lacking in in revenue and I, whenever i've talked to master sommeliers they're like oh we don't net a lot of of money i'm like yeah but you take in your revenue is 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 high you there are a lot of people so i think the attrition rate uh has the potential to go way down if they don't really truly make meaningful change within the organization uh, there will always be i think people that chase accreditation regardless of the cost so the social cost to that the moral cost i think that there will be people that don't care about that but i think that in this day and age most people do want something more meaningful they want to feel good about what they're doing and i i, I think that it i think that they'll the attrition rate has the potential to be very high and have a really negative income negative uh, impact on their income. In fact, I, I know for a fact that they, behind the scenes, have definitely been needing to check their numbers to see what they're working with financially for this next year. Because And they were, uh, they actually reached out recently to uh, all the upcoming uh, Master Sommelier candidates to see if they were going to um, uh, keep their seats for July or not. So they've definitely been, finances are definitely on their mind. This isn't the first scandal that has happened within the organization, right? It's, Can you tell us a little bit more about those? Yeah, I think that for, uh, especially after, this article is not the first scandal. It started in 2018 where there was a cheating scandal where uh, one master sommelier, he had several people that he was mentoring and he, the night before the exam, he sent them um, answers basically the night before for some of the wines for the blind tasting. And so it wasn't, those people also, those four people didn't tell anybody before the exam and they wrestled with it. And someone actually finally spoke up after the exam 
that didn't pass it. And, uh, and then this kind of whole scandal. So instead of actually having an investigation, here was the problem with the cheating scandal. Instead of actually doing an investigation and figuring out who cheated and who didn't, um, they invalidated the entire results on the basis that they felt like they couldn't prove who cheated and who didn't because after the email went out to the candidates, they could have called each other, theoretically. But that could have been easily traced by phone calls and emails. There could have been, their, their reaction is like, well, they could have just shouted it in a room. They could have just like gone in person and told people. But I feel like that's very, that's very unfair to the people. The amount of, I would say the amount of money that goes into especially training for blind tasting is tens of thousands of dollars a year. Uh, people usually spend the average, I, I think, ten to twenty thousand dollars a year training for blind tasting, yeah. and people spending, you know, a decade of their life training for this thing, and then all these people passed, and then they invalidated everyone's results. So can I? That was the first thing, and and this was the cheating scandal. Scandal happened on a Tuesday, and Thursday they annulled everyone's results. They didn't even have a real investigation. It was like a two-hour conversation and the board of directors, uh, Devin Broly, who uh, oversaw leadership during this time, um, r really made a huge screw up. So that was the first scandal. Uh, in 2019, they actually, we recently found out in, that in 2019, they wrote a bylaw that allowed both the board and uh, the chairman of the board to act independently without needing to communicate decisions to either master sommeliers who are members of the court or each other, so uh, they could make um, they could do things and make decisions without necessarily communicating with regards to exams and membership, whatnot, uh, which is crazy. And in twenty, so flash forward to twenty twenty in Black Lives Matter, they completely fumbled it. They took two weeks to respond to Black Lives Matter, uh, and their response, they, they wouldn't come out and completely denounce racism and discrimination. They fumbled it. They wrote these very watered down phrases that were very canned in PR and they tried to walk themselves back after it, but they took too long to respond. They, their response wasn't strong enough. And at the end of the day, that showed that they, there, it's come out that there are racists that are on the board, and clearly they didn't want to have a pol quote unquote political stance. But that's it, it. It was it was terrible. They they completely mishandled the situation. So that was I think number two. But they basically part of the problem was that they could make decisions about these things and not communicate with other master sommeliers. So other master sommeliers weren't in the loop about how these decisions were being made. Ooh, flash forward. <laughs> flash forward to now. So now they've had a cheating scandal that was very highly publicized. There was Black Lives Matter that was also publicized. And then just a few months later, having the New York Times be like, what is wrong with you guys? And that is all under the same leadership of who at the time is Devin Broly and uh, the same board. So the leadership had just, um, so when the article dropped, both the chairman, Devin Broly, and the board, they, none of them were, had any tension 
of resigning. And that's when the ball dropped about a week after the article came out uh, that Devin Broly also had women come out and accuse him of sexual harassment. And so then when that article came out, then he, the, the, the chips started falling and then uh, he resigned from his position as chairman of the board. And then the, they, they, they called for a, an election officially, finally. But it took a week and it took him getting called out for sexual harassment for them to make any changes in leadership. But until then, they had no intention of resigning or changing anything. Are they still... Uh, do they still hold their SOM titles and their master SOM titles? The board, the yeah, everyone on the board does. They have, so all the men who were accused in the New York Times, um, so Jeff Cruz was obviously the largest offender. If you do read the the article, he's definitely, there were 12 women that went on record. It was gross. Uh, he's, he's definitely by far the the worst offender, but he's not the, the only one. And he, he, was, he was awful. He resigned immediately, but there were still others that were suspended. Now, because of, very convenient bylaws within the court of master sommeliers that were written in the 70s uh, by white men. Uh, they are required a 30-day suspension before they can actually strip anyone of their title. So we're waiting for that 30-day minimum suspension to see if they will, if this new board will actually kick them out uh, and strip them of their title. But uh, but hmm. there's definitely a uh, there's definitely factions with it. They want to protect themselves. They want to protect their friends. Um, yes. Yeah, so that so the PR fizzles or something? I don't understand what that bylaw is right. for. It's a weird bylaw, uh, and also those suspended. So we're having they're having these new elections. They've had a couple town halls that they refuse to make public, and the suspended members can also vote for the new board. So you've got now, uh, so since the article came out, more were suspended. So you've got about a dozen master sommeliers, which the, there are only about 200 in the world. So even a dozen is a large, like that's like 10% of their organization. You've got that many people who are still allowed to vote that are suspended, that are compromised in and biased in how they're going to vote. So they have friends running for the board. There are 19 people running, which they haven't made public. Um, I've seen the list and there are some good people and there's some questionable people on there. Uh, and some people have made their platforms public. Like I like Andrea Robinson, Mia Vandewater. Um, there are some really but great people, but you don't people, get to vote, right? But I don't get to vote. Uh, only people that can vote are master sommeliers and some of those have been suspended, but they're still allowed to vote, which I think is, so what is the point of a suspension if you're still allowed to participate is kind of huge, but it's convenient by law. Uh, and we've had about, we had about 20 people, 20 master sommeliers endorse our petition. Um, but, uh, but it's interesting. There, there's still a fair amount that, that won't endorse it because they don't, I think the biggest argument is they don't, they don't necessarily want the precedent of kicking out or stripping titles of people, but I think it should definitely be a precedent because pe people are, are, uh, disbarred for, misconduct they should be stripped of their title for misconduct for for this too so i i'm strip strip them down <laughs> wow yeah do you think that there's gonna be like ethical wine purchasing in the future yeah i mean i think that it already kind of happens i think that's the push of the natural wine movement and sustainable farming and biodynamics and i think now that people have started to think about farming sustainability doesn't just 
doesn't just exist in farming and in the vineyard. It exists for, for companies in general. Sustainability uh, includes workplace environments and uh, treatment of workers and diversity and inclusion and, and how you your how your whole company is. So sustainability isn't just necessarily organic farming, it's it's the whole thing. It doesn't make sense to care so much about the world you live in, but not about the people living in it too. So I think that people definitely think about that. Good point. So I'm gonna read, for anybody who's just listening and um, I'm going to read a little excerpt from the New York Times. So uh, just diving into that. Okay, here we go. Only 155 people have achieved the honor since the 1997 founding of the America's Chapter of the Court of Master Sommeliers, the examining body that confers the title on those who survive its grueling years-long qualifications process. Of those, 131 are men. 21 women told the New York Times they have been sexually harassed, manipulated, or assaulted by male master sommeliers. They and other current and former members of the court say that the abuse is, is a continuing problem of which its leadership has long been aware. One master sommelier, according to those accounts, propositioned at least 15 candidates, sometimes promising professional favors in return for sex. Another shut the door to a classroom full of students in the face of a woman who had refused his advances. One student said a master sommelier in Texas asked her for a pair of her underwear to snuggle with. Several said the slur sucker" is used for women who have relationships with members of the court. And one woman said that she was raped by a prominent master sommelier in New York City after meeting him at a wine event. I mean, this is pretty hard stuff to read I mean when I was reading through it I mean even the woman who um was was raped didn't officially name herself or her assailant and I I mean when you learn about these things and you're talking to these women how how is it to have to take in all this information it's uh it's really difficult uh it's so sad um i think it's so sad it's great that people are being brave and and voicing and speaking up and coming out but it's sad to see how widespread the abuse is uh i think even i i knew about this article coming out and it was worse than even i had thought and i think that uh every woman tries to minimize their experience and, and normalize it. And it's singular in your mind because you're like, okay, uh, you know, yeah, that happened to me, even with my own experience with my exam results. Like, ah, uh, you know, it's not a big deal. It's fine. Um, deal with it and you move on. And uh, you, you try to rationalize like, ah, it's fine. It's not a big deal. You don't want to be necessarily be a victim. You want to be strong. And then when you get a bird's eye view and you see how many people, how many other women are affected and you start to see patterns, um, I'll actually, I'll, I'll talk about this. I, I actually went off record with the times more for context. I didn't really have a story, um, but I, uh, I got connected with the women that did go on record. And one of the things that Julia Moskin, the writer of of the article said to me was, listen, you don't know what I know. I don't know what you know. I'm trying to put together patterns and just get in any, any information I, I can, uh, and anything that can color in the stencil of the world that I'm trying to, to create, to, to describe is great. So, 
I think that's important for women to know that they're not necessarily alone in their experiences, but it's it's really hard listening to all the stories and and more stories came out once I, once we wrote this petition uh, and my girlfriends, my study group, my girlfriends and I, uh, we wrote this and then more people came to us with more stories of abuse, misogyny, harassment, uh, and they were hard that it's hard to listen to. It's and it's uh, I'm 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 glad that women are feeling more safe to speak up. But I think it's yeah, the the, the emotional toll. I think that none of us realize the emotional toll that it would take uh, in in fighting for for change uh, and hearing all the story that Liz uh, Dowdy Mitchell, who lives in New Orleans, she actually was uh, the one to take in all the stories uh, of abuse. And, uh, she's an angel. I don't know how she did it this year. She compiled, she literally compiled all the stories and, and listened and, and was so caring with every single woman that came forward. And she's, she's just a complete badass. Uh, just mad respect to her. I passed a lot of people on to her, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's tough. There definitely, there are a lot of stories and they're tough to hear. We're going to pause here today. To listen to the rest of the interview with Liz, tune in next week. This is a two-part interview, so make sure to come back. To sign the petition, to view show notes, referenced articles, or for those promo codes, head to thebossysauce.com. To take advantage of that resume review or to check out the resume course, visit yourbestmasterclass.com and don't forget to enter in the bossy sauce promo code for 15% off. I'll catch you next week for the second half of that interview with Liz.